good. Welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line from the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. I got to admit, I'm thrilled. I'm elated. I'm overjoyed. My heart is bursting with happiness. And I've got to say, look, first of all, I'm not sure exactly what the etiquette on this is because it's a big announcement on behalf of your household, you, your lovely wife, Alice, and everyone else. I don't even know if you've told your friends and family or kind of done a formal announcement. And certainly it's probably not my place to make this announcement on your behalf. But I'm just very excited to announce you've got a new member of your family. I I hope the Open Floor Globe will all join me in welcoming your new Marriott members account uh, to planet Earth. I'm so happy for you, Andrew. When you texted me, hey, I'm going to start a a Marriott membership reward account. I'm going to join the Cult of Courtyard. I almost almost crashed my car when you sent that to me. That's how excited I was. And... Uh, I'm sure it was a big moment for you this weekend, and you must be feeling great. Wow. Well, I hate to do this to you live on the podcast here, um, but I do have... You didn't go to Hilton Honors, (laughs) did you? You didn't do the Hilton. No, listen, I would never do that to you, okay? I understand that the Courtyard Cult is very important, and for people who don't listen to the podcast very often or may have missed our road trip episode a few weeks ago... Hanging out with Ben for two or three days in a row, there were no less than five conversations about the virtues of the Marriott Rewards Program and all the reasons I needed to sign up. And so I did reach out to Ben on Sunday asking him whether there was anything I needed to do. Like I was trying to get you some referral points and uh, help you out in that department And you hit me back and said, no, not unless you're ready to sign up for the Marriott credit card, which... Yeah, I tried to give you the whole speech on the credit card. I don't think I was successful, but I thought for sure you had signed up for an account. Are you trying to break the news to me that you didn't actually sign up? I didn't actually sign up for the account, and I feel bad because ultimately it's reflection on me and my own laziness. Um, But once you hit me back, it was like, no, there's no referral thing. I decide I was just I was too disorganized to get it done Sunday, but maybe this will motivate me to get it done on Monday, and uh, we can go from this there. This is like the false the false positive pregnancy <laughs> test, where like everybody gets excited, you do the gender reveal party, and then it turns out no one's actually pregnant. This is really yeah. sad. I gotta say, Andrew, I'm signed up for multiple mega bonuses right now. I sat next to a guy at a game on Saturday who had more than a million points, one of the largest caches of points I've ever seen in my life. I was very envious of him. And just welcome to the club, man. Come on, you can do this. Actually, during one of my rants yeah. here, you know, get me going about Giannis and the Bucks and maybe Coach Bud's Coach of the Year candidacy. And while I'm going for three minutes nonstop, you can just sign up right on the spot and you can tell us by the end of the episode how you're now it's in the club. It's that easy, huh? Well, and also, don't forget, when you were in Utah, your rewards program got you, it earned you an upgrade to a suite which also had a conference room table in it so those are the kind of perks that could be in my future if i just follow your advice um yes well i got i got so many replies actually from people in utah first of all their number one comment was what are you doing in utah come on guys have a little more state pride okay it's not that weird that i might just randomly go to utah the second comment though was how Giannis Inc. should host all of its boardroom meetings in that hotel room because literally I paid like, I want to say it was like $92 a night. I mean, it was a very cheap, you know, very affordable hotel room. Not only did I have the full conference room table with seating for eight, but I actually had a whiteboard that was built into a cabinet on the wall so I could actually like open the cabinet and just, you know, we could have a whiteboard meeting, maybe trying to prioritize, you know, with launch dates for the, the Air Giannis sneakers and all the other very important giannis business that we needed to attend yeah. to. We could do it all right there, Andrew. Well, I'm, I'm open to it, okay? Uh, and I, it's funny, that had happened to me before in Vegas, not because I was part of a rewards program, but because I showed up to my hotel, I got in late, didn't check in until like 1 a.m., and then they had already given away every room, every available room. And so they threw me in a conference room that had a bed that folded <laughs> into the wall. It was um pretty strange few days. Uh, but all of that is neither here nor there because we should move on and talk about actual basketball here. 
Brady says, who do you guys have as the second best team in the NBA come conference championship time? Are we still giving the Rockets the benefit of the doubt because of last season? Or has the SS Giannis set sail for a trip to the Bay? And then I, I want to start talking Bucks here. So I will just add this comment on Twitter from Ben, a friend of the podcast, who says, you can't sell buck stock when you never held any in the first place. And that's to me, obviously, because Oof. I hinted Oof. that perhaps we should start to sell buck stock. Uh, it, it seems like the market may have peaked last week. Um, and there were a number of Bucks fans who reached out calling me a trader, this and that. Number one, though, I do want to make it very clear. I held a lot of buck stock. And if you go back to October, and I, it may have been early November, but it was very early in the year, I came onto this podcast and said, look, the Bucks are going to win 60 games. Everybody just accept it now. And that's about where they're headed. I feel good about the way that prediction has aged. Uh, it's just... You've been all over the map on I, the Bucks, I, though, to be <laughs> honest. like You were you were skeptical about Boonholzer. I mean, you've thrown out a I lot was, of predictions. You know so I don't think it's quite... I don't think it's quite as tidy as you're trying it's to describe it. It's very fair that I was skeptical of Budenholzer, and with good reason. You know, the Bucks, and it's a credit to what a great job Bud has done since he's been in Milwaukee, but the roster that he was taking over, you know, Eric Bledsoe looks twice as good as he did a year ago. Um, so Bud's done a really good job. I do think that they're, we're getting a little too high on the Bucks right now. <laughs> like, they... They are one of four favorites in the East. They should not be the clear-cut favorite and a team that could potentially steal a title from the Warriors. I don't know. I think they're clearly above Toronto and Philadelphia, but that's where I wanted to go with this. Is I'm not sure the framing is quite right if it's like Rockets versus Milwaukee for the second-best team in the league that we think it, you know come playoff yeah. time. It needs to be wider than that, doesn't it? I mean, isn't this more of an open race than just those teams? I think Boston deserves to be in that conversation. Um, especially how they've looked here over the last week. Uh, you know, I think you might have unjinxed them with your column, which is really unfortunate. I don't know why you do these things to yourself or to others, but this is what you've done. Uh, they're undefeated since you wrote the column that they were fine uh, while they were hitting rock mm -hmm. bottom. And then what about a team like uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder? And there might be some termites out there who want to throw the the Raptors in this conversation too. I guess my, my point is before we say Houston versus Milwaukee for the second best team, shouldn't we determine how many teams should be uh, in this conversation for the second yeah, best team? Yeah, I think there are a number of teams that have a good case. And I think that's my my only real point on the Bucks is that they're, they're not the clear-cut second best team. And I think what's fun about the NBA right now is that there are five or six teams that are right there in the mix and um, all have flaws and all have reasons to get excited going forward. So let's take them one by one, though. What do you think about Milwaukee and what they're bringing to the table? Well, first of all, everyone knows how I feel about Milwaukee. I love Milwaukee. I think Houston is better than Milwaukee. I think in this conversation, my answer is Houston. It's not just because they've won eight straight games. It's not just because the Chris Paul and Clint Capella thing has gone exactly according to plan. Uh, it's their matchup ability. It's the experience. It's uh, Harden, you know, being at the top of his game, I think better than he was last uh -huh. season. And the the pieces fit. And I like them matchup-wise against basically anyone in that middle tier of the Western Conference who they'd be looking at in the first round, like pretty clearly. I think Oklahoma City could make things interesting for Houston, but I, I don't really think those two teams are going to be matching up in the first round. And I think they would take care of you know, Blazers, Jazz, Spurs, Clippers, whoever they would get from that group, you know, basically with no problem. Yeah. Um, so to me, Houston's number two. Uh, I still think Milwaukee deserves to be in the top shelf with Boston, but I, I, I'm with you. I don't think the gap between Milwaukee and Boston in terms of long-term ceiling uh, is that great. And, and one reason why I would give, you know, Boston a little love here is we got a flash forward at what it looks like if Hayward is playing – like Hayward's capable of, right? I mean, they worked, waxed the Golden State Warriors at Oracle. I mean, Hayward had 30-plus, then he hits a game-winner the next night, basically. Yeah. Um, and to me, he's the biggest X-factor in the entire playoff picture, yep. right? Like, he transforms their bench unit if he's there. If they do wind up moving him back into the starting lineup at some point, uh, he winds up adding a big-time weapon there. He makes life easier for Kyrie Irving. He keeps Kyrie Irving 
playing the right way when they do play together. Um, and it just takes their offense to a different level that they haven't been able to consistently hit this season. So I guess my answer is let's pump everyone else's uh, like stock up. You know, right. let's try to like build up the Celtics, build up the Rockets, and try to get the the Bucks back into that scrappy underdog category. Uh, <laughs> But they're in this mix, too. I mean, there's no question about it. Elite offense, elite defense, consistent superstar presence. They're yeah. awesome. Like They deserve to be in this conversation. They are awesome. Um, I just think that the, the story in Milwaukee is a little bit more interesting because I think one of the things that works against the Bucks it, when you're looking at the bigger picture is they've been cranking at 110% for seven months now. The success that people are going to point to doesn't necessarily convince me of their ceiling in May and June. And uh, and part of that is just what makes the NBA so fascinating is that none of this shit is actually that linear. And uh, so, you know, you have Eric Bledsoe killing people well, let me in ask February. You, are, you just, are, are you trying to say that they're an 82-game team rather than a 16-game team? Yes. You know that old uh, differentiating factor that Draymond came up with, whether players are playoff players or regular season players? You're basically saying they're an 82-game well, team, right? maybe. I'm saying that they are an 82-game team right now, and if you're making the case for Milwaukee as a title contender, I don't want to hear about their culture. I don't want to hear about Joy. I don't want to hear about Bledsoe. I don't want to hear about Middleton, and I definitely don't want to hear about the Miritich trade, okay? <laughs> because the case for Milwaukee begins and ends with Giannis being the best player in the league. If he goes into the playoffs and plays out of his mind and just dominates every series they enter, then the Bucks are going to make the finals. But there are real red flags that are being ignored while they just continue to steamroll people in the regular season, which is that, like, look, you're not going to be able to play Brook Lopez against the best teams in the league. And uh, we don't need to overstate that point, but his shooting has also fallen off lately. And then the guy, like, the other thing that I would mention... Well, hold on. Put a finer point on that one, though. I mean, who, who is it that you see really screwing with Lopez? Because I think they're looking to stay big. I mean, even that Pau Gasol move, like they're trying to stay big because I think they're looking at Toronto, yeah. Philadelphia, and Boston and thinking a lot of those series are going to be playing, uh, you know, with traditional fives on the court, right? Who who of those teams is going to push Lopez well, off mainly the court? what I'm worried about is Boston, and I'm also worried about a potential Golden State matchup if they get there. You're right, though, that Philly yeah. and Toronto. Go to, go to stay for yeah. sure. Um, yeah. No. And then Boston's the question mark. I think you nailed it. But, like, that's the thing. So is Lopez going to be this guy who causes their season to fall apart because he's not no. helpful? Or is he going to be somebody who, at the very last minute, like in the Eastern Conference Finals, he starts to get exploited and they don't have a counter? Like, I'm more in that yes. category. You know I, what I mean? think that, that the second point is a better way to frame it. And I that's why I said I don't want to overstate the point, but, like, that's an issue. And they also play Urson too much. And they have been reluctant to play DJ Wilson very often, or at least lately. And that's a problem because DJ Wilson is potentially the Draymondish kind of like missing piece who could help them play small and be able to kind of evolve and adapt in a playoff setting in a really healthy way. And, um, and that leads me to the bigger point, which is that Budenholzer, for as great as he's been, is pretty inflexible when it comes to adjustments, or at least he has been and was in Atlanta. Uh oh, I think you're I think you're calling him Rust Belt D'Antoni. I think that's, that's kind of what I'm worried about. He does sort of have a D'Antoni. He's very old school, and I I've really liked hearing him talk whenever I've been around the Bucks. Um, he's a really impressive dude, but uh, I do think that it's certainly possible that could work against them by the time you get like halfway into the Eastern Conference Finals. Cheese curd D'Antoni. This is this is brutal. So basically, Brad Stevens could be the Popovich in this analogy, and then Budenholzer gets stuck as D'Antoni. Yes. It just can't get over the hump against his uh, you know mortal enemy. Very interesting. I do think the key difference for Milwaukee and for, uh, for Budenholzer is he's going in to this year's playoffs having the best player in every yeah. series. That's Giannis, right? He has not had that in Atlanta. I mean, I love Paul Millsap. There are some situations in the series those guys were in where I would say Millsap was actually the best player, even though he didn't get credit for it. Uh, but this is a whole different level. And I think that having the best player dictates all the matchups. It dictates all of the uh, 
uh, adjustments uh, and style of play and all those kinds of things. And, and those should not be uh, taken for granted or undersold at all. I mean, that's going to be a big deal. I also think, though, your point is if his inflexibility catches up to them, he is headed for more criticism by a factor of probably five than he's ever received previously in his coaching career, yeah. right? Because he's going in with the expectations that they're supposed to win now. And um, and I think that's fair. You know, on this point of Buck's skepticism, uh, just for the sake of, you know, arguing the counter like you're doing, they've also had a really, really, really good health. And knock on wood with that. But like Giannis has only basically missed games when they're strategically resting him. Middleton's basically had perfect health. Bledsoe's had perfect health. Brogdon's had pretty close to perfect health. Lopez has had perfect health. Uh, until recently, George Hill was having great health yeah. for them. I mean, just go right down the list, right? That is That makes me nervous, and it also helps explain why their regular season has been so impressive, right? Because everybody who they count on has been on the court every single night. So their chemistry is coming from you know, basically perfect continuity. And I do think that that is a red flag when you're judging some of these teams. It's like who's overachieving during the regular season. It's the teams that don't have any injury issues who are one sprained ankle away from looking a lot different uh, deserve to be in that category. And that's true for Milwaukee. And it's kind of counterintuitive to talk about potentially penalizing them for a seven-month run of great health and great basketball. But it just – it all kind of factors into it. Um, So – I don't know. I, I think I'll probably pick the Bucks by the time we get to the playoffs. I'll probably pick them to make the finals strictly because I want to root for Giannis. And it's more fun to root for the team that you picked and when, in any sort of playoff setting. So it's not that I'm out on the Bucks entirely. I do think that like the case for them is more complicated than it's been presented lately. Um, although, look, Giannis is still amazing. And if you believe in them strictly because of Giannis, that makes sense to me. And I also want to challenge your premise here. I really don't think they're getting all that much love for how good they've been, (laughs) right? Like we read, I mean, I'm serious. Like we read daily stories, like the daily Kyrie, whatever mood Kyrie's in, we have to read 15 stories about this. I see the Boston media come through LA. They're rolling like 35 deep, Andrew. Like they couldn't even get into a club. Like there'd be a line as the bouncer slowly lets all these sports writers into the club because there's just too many of them. You can't have them all in there at the same time. Uh, the the Milwaukee beat media, you know, bless their souls. I like all of them. There's like four. So, of them, you know right. what I mean. Like, so <laughs> it, it's it's a it's a matter of volume and intensity. That's all I'm saying. And I think that you know, you're right to note that there is a bubble here in terms of their positive coverage because the other shoe has not had any reason yeah. to drop. You know, this season, like they haven't had that big swoon where everybody starts to freak out. So I think you're you're kind of nailing the market, but like, let's also keep some perspective here. Okay. Like they're getting more attention this year than they've had at any point in the last 20 years. And it's still a fraction of the attention we pay a team like the Boston Celtics. No, absolutely. And I, you know, I saw Sam Amick wrote a piece on them last week and uh, there were some great quotes from Giannis in there. And it's not to, none of this is about, I think it's because you and I have talked so highly about the Bucks over the last couple couple weeks. And then I'm also like, two years. Yeah, a couple years. <laughs> I think I also followed too many Bucks fans on Twitter. And so they get awful chesty about like what they're going to do in the playoffs. And I'm just like, you know what? Like, we'll see. <laughs> Let's just wait and see. And again, I don't really look at Bledsoe and Middleton as as reasons to believe in them in the playoffs. I, the Miritich trade, certainly, like in the wake of that, there were a lot of people who said, oh my God, just wait till the Bucks get to the playoffs. And it's like, I'm not convinced that Miritich is actually going to be a positive for them. If he means, if if Miritich is going to be out there with Ilyasova, certainly, and like the Pau deal, I have no idea why they signed Pau Gasol. Like, it makes no sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I guess Powell's just doing story time with the young bucks where he just like tells them about the glory days of the 2009 and 10 Lakers and kind of imparts the wisdom about it, what it means to be a champion. <laughs> like- um, I mean, I do think I think it was a touchy feely signing more than an encore basketball signing. And I think also is injury protection against yeah. Lopez. If Lopez was were to go down, they would be so screwed. You know, you know? so you really think about how their lineups would look 
how how much less potent their offense would be. Um, and so I think that's why they that did makes that. Sense. You know, in terms of your your point about the Bucks fans being a little bit uh, you know too hype. I mean, look, you leaned right into it earlier with the DJ Wilson pray, so I'm going to call you out for this. You got to stop pandering to these guys. Like <laughs> DJ Wilson is a nice player, but if you went off of DJ Wilson's Twitter rep, you would think he's top five dead that's or alive. Very you know fair. what I mean? Like the way that these <laughs> these people talk about him, like he is the savior. I mean, well, come on, man. okay, that's a fair criticism. I will say that I independently independently talked to somebody from an NBA front office about DJ Wilson and about the Bucks and was told that, you know, he is one of the X factors for how far they're going to be able to go in the playoffs and whether Bud trusts him is a factor to watch. I agree. I'm just saying he's not a top five NBA player, which is he's, the way these guys he's hype not, him. You know, but he's a like, guy that the, like the Bucks fans treat it like it's a crime against humanity that he's not out there playing like 46.5 minutes a night. That's okay. I loved DJ Wilson when he was at Michigan and I was sure that he was going to come into the league and be like the perfect stretch for, and then he just, fell off the face of the earth his rookie season and it looked like he was headed the Joe Alexander route another legendary bucks pick uh and so it's been really heartening to see him at least come back into the light <laughs> do you remember Joe Alexander of course i, I mean that's that's cool <laughs> well, to even like we just went from top 5 dead or alive look, to Joe Alexander it was, I mean, it was really real, dark real range of possibilities <laughs> for DJ it was really really dark yeah from Joe Alexander the, to the next Draymond Green um, no, I, I just think he's at least in theory, exactly the sort of piece that the Bucks need. Whereas my reluctance with pow is just, you never want to give coaches bad players that they could potentially play too much. And that's who pow is right now at this point in his career. And so it is what it is. Um, but as far as Milwaukee's concerned, I, they're still in great shape. It's just like, I do think that the, the, pack is much closer together than um their records would indicate you know whether whether you're talking about the east or the whole league like everyone beyond the warriors is is basically on the same level yeah i think uh we're pretty aligned there i mean would you so if you're answering this question who is your you know gun to your head who's your second best team in the league um well so you said houston i did i think i mean does that mean i can say boston because i think boston is better than any of these other teams Ooh, no surprise. You're a huge fan. Uh, I, hate to, I hate to lay say it. it. Um, and you're right in focusing on Hayward, which is scary because if you're asking me, like, do I believe in Hayward in May? The answer is still probably no, which means that I should. But here's the thing, though. Like, it's not like we need him to be an all-star if you're a Celtics fan. Like, if he scores 15 yeah. points, they're 14-2 and two this year, and they've beaten Golden State, Toronto twice, Philly, and maybe even Milwaukee in that group, yeah. right? So like that just says like it's they just need B Hayward, right? They don't need not just anything better than C plus Hayward. Totally, totally agree with you. And that's the thing is like if he can be decent, Jalen Brown has been a lot better. And when people were wondering like what's wrong with the Celtics, the three things that were working against the Celtics more than anything else were Hayward's game had fallen off a cliff. Jalen Brown was in his own head for about two months this season and was, I mean, his shooting numbers were awful. His defense wasn't great and it just wasn't going well. And then third, Al Horford did not look like the same player for long stretches of this season. I've got, I've got, I've got three different things. Let me just say it would be Kyrie's defense, Kyrie's leadership, <laughs> uh, and, and Kyrie's night to night focus. That would be my okay. top three. And all three of those things have picked up here during the road trip. And guess what? Boston. Okay. Looks a lot so better. six factors then are now weighing in Boston's favor. Um, and we'll see where we are because this changes by the week. And so they could easily, we're recording this on Monday afternoon. I believe they play the Clippers Monday night. They could easily go, lose that game and look crappy for the next 10 days. So don't want to get too high. I saw, I read one story about them um, getting it together on the flight out West. And it's like the myth making does not take long with any of this stuff in Boston. Oh, all it takes is a dice game for everything <laughs> to be fine. Now Kyrie issued another round of apologies this week. Um, you know, more attempts at accountability. Uh, we'll see how they stick. Uh, but he's playing a lot better. I mean, he's looked really good during this road trip. I saw them in Golden State. I saw him in L.A. I'm seeing them in L.A. again yeah. tonight. Um, they look like a contender, period. I mean, that's how they're playing out there. They didn't even play that hard against the Lakers. You know, just smoked them 
with no real you know issue whatsoever, and they were hitting on all cylinders against Golden right. State. Right, and jokes aside, they do look much happier out here um, than they did the week before in Boston. So good for them. And um, let's move to talk about the West, Ben, because there's a lot going on out West as well. But first, let's talk about LinkedIn, because today's podcast is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, And when it's time for you to make a hire for your small business, naturally, you want to find the best person for the job. And odds are that person is on LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to get matched up with quality candidates who make the most sense for your role. They use knowledge of both hard skills and soft skills to match you with the people who fit best. People come to LinkedIn every day to learn and advance in their careers So LinkedIn understands what they're interested in and what they're looking for. And that means that when you use LinkedIn jobs to hire someone, your matches are based on so much more than a resume. Take it away, Ben. I mean, it it sounds like there's a 97% chance the Bucks found Pau Gasol on LinkedIn. I mean, the hard skills of fouling Joel Embiid and the soft skills of mentoring uh, the young Bucks about the championship greatness, it's all there. (laughs) (laughs) Let me jump in for a second. If the Bucks had used LinkedIn jobs, they would have found a better buyout candidate than Pau Gasol. And that's really where John Horst went wrong this season. Your LinkedIn jobs <laughs> matches are based on skills and background, sure, but also interests, activities, and passions. You get the full picture of a potential employee with LinkedIn jobs. Matching lets you quickly get a group of the most relevant, qualified candidates for your role. That way, you can focus on the candidates you want to spend time talking to and make a quality hire that you're excited about. Customers rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash floor and get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash floor. Terms and conditions apply. All right. That's linkedin.com slash floor. LinkedIn.com slash floor. And with that, Ben, let's get back to it. Connor says... Hey guys, I think there's a general disbelief in the Nuggets due to lack of experience and doubt in Jokic being able to perform in the playoffs. I think it's fair because the squad needs to prove itself. But I also think the team is just straight up very good and more than just a cute story. So what do you guys think? Ben, do you have any thoughts on the Nuggets right now? I thought this was one of the best emails, the most thoughtful emails we've gotten in a long time. I agreed with basically every single word that he laid out. I think the skepticism that you're saying should be there for Milwaukee or kind of the pushback about the bubble, I think that's actually there for Denver. And it does feel like a lot of people are just taking the, oh, prove it, let's see it in the playoffs attitude to Denver. I don't think that's totally fair given how well and consistently they've played this season through some real serious injury adversity too. I mean, unlike Milwaukee that's had really smooth sailing, Denver's had a lot to overcome and Jokic has pulled them through it. Um, The young guys have played well, stepped up. There's no question about it. And I think that they're a real interesting team. I have like sort of a vision for how I think their playoffs are going to play out. And and tell me what you think of this. I love a good Gulliver vision quest. Yeah, this is more of a gut than like an analytical uh, anything. But Jokic is such a polarizing Uh player, right? Like he has the most diehard stands of any player in the league. Maybe even more than Kyrie or any of the other guys, right? I mean, his... His stands swear, you know, he should win the MVP (laughs) and he's like the greatest passing big man in NBA history. And like, you know, he's the most uh, irreplaceable, indispensable guy in the league, right? Like he's much better than Embiid. I mean, you hear all these kinds of arguments, right? His detractors are like, this guy is going to get spun around. And as I said last year, I mean, look like he's basically ice skating on stumps (laughs) when he's trying to play perimeter defense. Uh, on the uh, against you know elite you know ball what, handlers man? in the playoffs it's honestly right? a little screwed up that every time we talk about the nuggets you bring up the ice skating stump analogy <laughs> because we also <laughs> only talk about the nuggets like four times per season but um it is a, a vivid it's just it's <laughs> symbolic it's symbolic of the criticism of yes. Jokic, right that he's too fa- uh he's too big He's too slow. He doesn't move well enough that when it really comes time to play small ball, playoff basketball, he's going to get left behind, right? And we've seen other centers face that kind of question. He just hasn't been in the playoffs, so we haven't seen him personally do it. 
I I see a scenario developing where both Jokic's stands and his critics are proven right. Like I think Denver is going to go into the first round of the playoffs, take care of business. Jokic will be the best player on the court, and you're going to see this like giant swelling of optimism and happiness. Yeah. Uh, on behalf of his fans, where they're all going to do the victory dance of saying, I told you Jokic is the best player. Look at him. He just dominated the first round. And then I see it swinging all the way back the other direction in the second round when they have to play somebody who can really you know, spread you out and make you work, whether that's Houston. Uh, they probably wouldn't play Golden State in the second round, but you kind of get where yes. I'm going with that. Where his, you know, the, the lasting offseason uh, you know, feeling is like, uh-oh, Jokic probably isn't going to be able to do the things that we thought he wasn't able to right. do. And this series just exposed him. That's how I think this is going to play out. Are you with me or against um, me? I'm with you. That isn't necessarily how I think it's going to play out. Uh, I do. What you're describing is familiar to me because we've watched it happen with Gobert. And, and I think Jokic and Gobert are sort of opposite True. sides of the same coin where you're talking about two of the most valuable guys in the league, but their value is complicated because you can watch them and see that they're going to suddenly become half as valuable at the highest levels of the league. And, um, and it's through no fault of their own. It's just like kind of a frustrating situation because guy, like any basketball fan who really watches the league and, and watches league pass for seven months, like ultimately comes away in love with with Jokic and in love with Gobert and um, and really respects them and so it sucks to then watch them kind of have their progress capped uh, at the second round of the playoffs. I don't know if it's going to play out that way though because like if it's Denver and OKC in the second round, which is a distinct possibility given the way the seating looks right now, like to Connor's point, I wouldn't necessarily have a problem picking the the Nuggets to win that series and. I think right now, when you look around like basketball media, everybody has just sort of made peace with the idea that there's no way Denver makes the conference finals when there's absolutely a path. It just involves getting a little bit lucky with the matchups. I think I would probably take OKC in that series. Um, but I I think you're making a really reasonable point that that's closer to a 50-50 series than like an 80-20 series, which is probably what the perception yeah. would be, right? Like. Denver is a long shot. They would need a lot of help to get it done. I mean, I think ultimately, like, much like last year's Bucks, the Denver is going to go as far as those supporting guys can, like, step up and, and help them out, right? So how much do you trust Jamal Murray and Gary Harris to deliver right now in this year's playoffs when everybody's cranking it up and you know those guys have been playing as hard as they can all season long, right? Like, do those guys have another gear? I think that's a totally fair question. And that's where the skepticism should be uh, on behalf of Denver. If Harris and Murray are the X factors, if they, you know, they're, they're kind of like the Middleton and Bledsoe of last year's yeah. Bucks. And, you know, are the skepticism around Denver should involve basically, uh, you know, whether those guys have another gear that they can take their games. Yeah. And Jamal Murray is a guy who I can't really trust yet. I, I got to kind of see it with him. There have been a lot of games and may, He's one of those guys where sometimes I watch the Nuggets and I'm like, am I just catching them on the wrong night? Like, is Jamal Murray actually as good as everyone says? Because it seems like every time I watch their game, I'm disappointed by what he's doing. Um, but I think the general thrust of our discussion here is right, where like the Nuggets were maybe a little overrated like two months ago and now are probably being underrated by a lot of people. But um I don't know, man. It's going to be really interesting because the, the West right now is also just a kind of a mess from like, well, Denver will probably be the second seed, but then three to six is a complete free-for-all that will play out over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and they have no idea who they're going to get in the first round either because six, seven, and eight is so close. So I think from that standpoint... Um... You know, if you're Denver, you're Michael Malone kind of coming into the postseason, like you would love to have that clarity and that understanding of who you're going to be yeah. playing. And it could easily go down to like the last week of the season. Um, and they're most likely going to be playing a team that's more experienced than them. You know, basically, no matter who they draw, uh, you know, even, even Utah, like they got more reps last year in the playoffs uh, than Denver did. So I, 
there is upset potential with them. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that they're locked totally. into. I don't think they're locked into hearing win a series. You, but I do think that they will. Is now freaking me out because they could also end up with the yeah. Spurs, and I believe the Spurs have beat them two out of three times this year. And you know, so it it they run the whole spectrum in terms of possibilities. The only thing I don't think they can do is beat Golden State. Yeah, uh, to me, I think they're going to win one series, go out in the second round. If I had you know gun to my head, that would be my prediction. But yeah, they could be a first round upset and everyone would do the I told you so thing. That's in play. They could make the conference finals. I don't see them getting past the okay. conference finals. Um, a couple more questions out West. Austin says, with all these teams clustered together, does it really matter which round of the playoffs your team is bounced? Without a doubt, a quote unquote first round exit is disappointing for anyone. But does it really matter? And I think it's a good question and... Um, it shouldn't matter, but I think it does. And in the same way that like if it were Boston and Philly in the East and one of those teams lost in the first round, it would really affect the way they approach the offseason. Like in, in Philly, I think you can basically guarantee that they're not bringing back all four superstars at that point and maybe firing Brett Brown. And in Boston, you know, Kyrie could leave. And uh, I think there are similar consequences that could emerge if like if portland loses in the first round again and loses in five games like i anything is possible this summer you know what i mean well look i mean you're right to say it's an issue in the eastern conference but over here in the west at the highest (laughs) levels of competition these things absolutely matter andrew i mean look at the the los angeles clippers Uh right the huge first round victory over the san antonio spurs a few years ago crowning achievement for their franchise chris paul hits one over tim duncan almost made me cry uh, you know, feeling so bad for my my guy, Big Fundamental. Uh, they wind up losing in the second round. They never make the conference finals. Everyone involved with that organization has pointed to that series as basically being the moment they just never recovered from, and it has defined their franchise for the last five years, right? So yes, of course, how deep you go into the postseason, uh, especially in the Western Conference, when you're dealing on t- tight timelines of star players, matters a lot. It defines your whole franchise. I think for Portland... Uh, it's absolutely a big deal. There's no question about it. I think Oklahoma City, um, I think the way they lost last yeah. year, you know, whether it was because of Melo or Paul George not really playing that well or whatever else, I think that the stakes are huge for the Thunder, um, you know, not only to win, uh, you know, a first-round series, but potentially to make a conference finals and validate, you know, Westbrook as a player, validate Paul George's MVP candidacy and all of those things. I think for Houston – um, if they were somehow to kind of get not live up to my expectations and not return to the conference finals, I think that that would be um, a result that could have some pretty wide ranging implications on the future of of their core and and how they look at that team, especially given the owners, you know, kind of desire to not go above and beyond in terms of spending yeah. this year. And well, the list goes you, right you on. You understand I mean, I think, his point, like though, imagine right? go- because it, you talk about Houston just now, like. If they don't make the conference finals, it will likely be because they run into Golden State in the second round. And so, you know, measuring yeah, progress this is that the show, way <laughs> is kind of insane. And everyone should be able to divorce themselves from the emotions of it. And yet nobody really can. And so it does matter. I'm not arguing with no, you. I mean, I, I get it. Like in an Eastern Conference where, you know, basically any team can make the playoffs, you hand out Capri Suns and, and uh, you know, orange slices at halftime and everybody gets to go home a winner. I mean, in the Western Conference, the stakes are huge. Look no further than Golden State. If Golden State doesn't win the title uh-huh. this year, how big are the ramifications going to be, right? If they were to somehow go out or get upset or implode in the second round or the conference finals, that thing could get crazy well, ugly. I, it could really, get really crazy fast. ugly And I think way, that's how it should be. Know? True, but what are what are the odds? Like, how does it get uglier if they completely blow up and they pull like you know uh, the Lakers analogy from the early two thousands that everyone loves going yeah. back to? Um, I just think that's the name of the game in the Western Conference. That's how it should be. That's why all these teams are so competitive, and that's why the owners are just uh, you know over the top and everything they're trying to do, you know, building billion dollar stadiums and all the other stuff. You know, these guys do brand new practice facilities, every little edge they can try to get. This is what it's for, and it's a results oriented business. Like if you go out in the first round and you've invested all this time and energy and money in superstar players, there should be consequences. I I, I don't see why that's no, a bad thing. I, I don't necessarily, first of all, that's, that's why we love the playoffs because there are incredibly high stakes for everyone involved. 
I do understand. Let's overreact to every win and overreact to every <laughs> loss, Andrew. Come on, that's exactly. what we're here for. Well, and the teams and players are like that too, which makes it fun. So I'm not here protesting any of it. All I'm saying is I understand where this emailer is coming from, where it's like you step back and it's like, is Utah meaningfully different if they lose in the first round to Houston versus make the second round and, you know, lose to, I guess, uh, Denver or whoever they would play? Like, No, I get the point, but it's just kind of soft. If you care about that, just watch the Grizzlies or the Pelicans, you know, or just like watch the Wizards, you know, and be really excited about Bradley Beal's run at the All-NBA team that you were trying to sell us forever. I mean, if that's how you you feel, watch a team that's well below 500 playing for nothing and just pat everybody on the head. Okay, fine. Let's be very clear that the four most compelling Warriors threats are all in the Eastern Conference this year. So take your elitist bullshit and shove it. But... um, Moving, <laughs> there's, they're definitely not. I didn't realize Houston, no, Oklahoma get City, out they all here. got relocated. Get out I, of I here. didn't pay attention. Trying to tell me the Rockets are actually going to beat the Warriors. We don't all have to do that, okay? Let's just be honest. Go in with clear eyes this year, okay? Oh yeah, Toronto, real threat to the Warriors. I'm sure they're hey, shaking in their you know, boots. Oh Kawhi boy, why has given them problems in the past? Um, if he, if he ever <laughs> for what three quarters. For three quarters if of one game? If the Raptors game? play seven playoff games, will Kawhi play all seven? I think that's a legitimate question at this point. The load management is becoming a weekly thing. Well, I can tell you not because I don't think he's played three consecutive games <laughs> in a couple months. I think I read that weird. somewhere. Like, this should be a red so flag. Let me, so, like, I guess if you're trying to game plan, if you're Nick Nurse and you're trying to really, like, lock in your series, do you want to play him – one, two, rest him three, or do you want to go one, rest him two, then play him three? Like, do you go every other game? Do you go two, then one off? I mean, how do you do it? The playoff no, rest I mean, seriously, policy. Like we got- the NBA's first ever playoff rest policy. Um, yeah, I don't know, but Masai will address it. You know, they'll figure it out as they go up there. Yeah, um, they're not a threat to the Golden State Warriors. This whole four, four threats Let's thing call is it nonsense. Three. Let's and we know call Philly- it three. If it's the, if, okay. Unfortunately, it's open floors. Philly's not a threat either. Come on. To never take the Raptors seriously. I don't know how we got here, but we're here. But there's at least three teams in the East who can actually make the Warriors pay attention um, more than they pay attention to the Rockets ever. So. What the three teams got to be Milwaukee, Milwaukee, and Boston because it's not Philly. <laughs> Philly has played Golden State tough over the past two years. They they just have. Oh yeah, the Here size we go. makes them uncomfortable. Hi- hype up some regular season results. I mean, the Golden State doesn't even play the death lineup in the regular season, Andrew. They don't even they don't even use their best group, the group that has dominated the entire league for basically three straight playoffs. They don't even use it at all in the regular season. They're playing with one hand tied behind their back, and they're just letting Katie go a little too far uh, on some of these emotional tangents. That part does need to be reeled in. These guys are sandbagging. They probably are sandbagging. Philly plays them tough whether they're sandbagging or not. That's just a fact. Go back and watch the games that they've played. Like They don't really know how to handle Ben Simmons, and Bede can eat against those guys no matter who they throw out there. And then, unfortunately, J.J. Redick is one of the worst defensive players on earth right now. And so I'm sure he would be I targeted. I promise you, Ben Simmons is not going to lead the Sixers over the Warriors in the 2019 okay. finals. I love Ben Simmons. It's not going to happen. <laughs> March is where we just argue about shit that we clearly agree on. <laughs> and so we both agree that <laughs> Ben Simmons is not leading the Sixers anywhere. Um, the Can I tell you one thing, though? While you were talking, I, I often tune you out on the other side of this podcast. Did you sign up for the Marriott <laughs> not yet, account? Not yet, sadly. But while you were talking, I did think about the dream seating in the West, and it should go like this. Number one, Golden State. Number two, Denver. Number three, OKC. Number four, Houston. Number five, Utah. And number six, Portland. And that way we get... A Houston-Utah series, which is kind of fun, but the Jazz go out in five or six games because I don't really need to see much more of that Jazz team. They've been kind of a a rough watch all year long. Unfortunately, they've got a really easy schedule to end the season, and they will probably end up in like third place and screw screw up my dream bracket. But um, 
Houston advancing and then playing Golden State in the second round would give us a killer second round series, uh, albeit uh, we're not taking the Rockets seriously. That's a new policy. But that would be fun. And then also, like, if OKC was in third and Portland was in sixth, that series would be incredible. And then uh, either one of those teams against Denver would be a complete toss-up. And I would, I would love watching that series just the same. Okay, I'm with you on OKC Portland. I think that's like the number one first round series that basically anybody should want to watch in any yeah. bracket. Um, I would go. I would rather Houston plays San Antonio in the first round just because I want San Antonio out of there as quickly as possible. I would save Utah for the Denver series because I just love that idea of the clash of yeah. styles, right? Like the offense versus fun. the defense, the two centers. Like Utah's a little bit more experienced, but Denver's better. They've been more consistent this season. Is Donovan Mitchell ready to hit the uh, the playoff switch? And can a guy like Jamal Murray keep up? Like I think that one for the Mountain Time Zone fans too. I think that would be uh, pretty interesting. And then Clippers Warriors um, that would be over quick. But the Clippers man, one take that has really held up is that the Clippers are good, wholesome, family fun. I told you, you that during preseason. You laughed at me. These guys are so much fun to watch, Andrew. I, mean, I don't know if you saw Lou Will hang 40 on the uh, the Thunder last week. Just night in and night out. Uh, and I'm probably jinxing them because they have to play the Celtics tonight. So watch them go lay an egg. These guys play so hard. Patrick Beverly should have been Western Conference Player of the Week after <laughs> locking up LeBron well, and then locking up Paul George and then getting into a back and forth with yes. him on Twitter and leading to the longest anti-referee rant that I have ever heard in my entire life. Paul George delivered basically a three-and-a-half-minute rampage against the NBA's officials, calling out Adam Silver by name, all because Pat Beverly got under his skin in that game. Um, I think Clippers-Warriors would be sneaky good for a sweep. You know um, what I mean? I- I can't get there as far as Clippers Warriors being sneaky good. I am with you 1,000% on Patrick Beverly should have been named Player of the Week for his defensive performances and his media performances. <laughs> he probably averaged like he probably averaged like six <laughs> yeah, points too. No, I'm giving him the Player listen, of the Week. You got him shouting through the hallways in a clip that I, I'm pretty sure your clip went viral because I saw that over and over again as the week unfolded, and then he followed that up by getting in Paul George's head. And then after George lost his mind talking about the officiating, Beverly went on Twitter and called out Paul George directly and said, men lie, (laughs) women lie, numbers don't. And then he added George on top of it. It was just great. I, all of it made me wish that Patrick Beverly were commissioner of the NBA. And I hope that happens one day. On top of all of it, he really came at the entire media after that win over the Lakers. He told the media that the only seven people had shown up to Clippers Media Day because they had held it at the same time as Lakers yeah. Media Day. And that's true. <laughs> there was like 500 media members at Lakers. And it might be a slight exaggeration. There was more than 200 media members at Lakers Media Day and seven at the Clippers. And for the Clippers now to be in the playoffs with the Lakers on the outside looking in, uh, Pat Beverly let everybody know about it. He's like, yeah, I told them all you'd be back by the end of the season. Now here you are. He was just like telling all the reporters this. It was it's amazing. Great. Well, and to that point, I do want to read one email from Alex who says, I've seen a lot of people questioning why the Clippers are trying to make the playoffs since they forfeit their pick if they do. But I think they have the right idea. Doesn't making the playoffs at the expense of the Lakers and thus further cementing this Lakers team as a circus shit show <laughs> outweigh the chance at an early teens pick in a mediocre draft. I think that is a very smart point, Alex, and one that we should have made when we were talking about the Clippers like a week and a half ago. Um, but I think that that might be part of the reason they're, they're making this push. And, um, and I also, additionally, there's just a lot of value in sh- – being able to go to free agents and say, look, we're already a playoff team. Come make us a title team. And that's probably the pitch that they envision this summer. And, you know, a, a, the number 15 pick in the draft or the number 12 pick in the draft is not really going to change that very much. Um, yeah, I do think this is a case where, like, all the theoretical conversations about the value of a draft pick or, like, what we can Are do in free totally agency irrelevant. really <laughs> – 
Well, I think they just matter less given the personalities of the people involved. Because, like, Beverly, like, it looks like an act. Like, that video you mentioned, it looks like he's just, like, playing to the cameras. That is exactly who he is. Like, he is so locked in and insane and competitive. You will never be able to, you know, ever get him on board with a tank, right? And same thing goes with some of their other personalities. Lou Will might be a smooth scorer. That guy is very competitive. Montrez Harrell tries to rip the rim off the hoop three times a game. And it's amazing he hasn't succeeded in breaking a backboard yet, but that could be coming at some point. Um, I think the biggest difference between the Lakers and the Clippers, it's not the guys on short-term contracts. It's not the distractions of LA. The biggest difference is some of the personalities the Clippers have tried to cultivate and pull together uh, are just competitive on a different level and at a different stage of their career than a lot of the Lakers players. You know, like they've got veterans who are just completely hungry all together in the same room. And that's why they've had the staying power this year. Um, I do think that pick that they're going to lose, you know, that's, that's a pretty nice pick. Like you would like to have it, but it's not like you're going to be crying about it. If you do make the playoffs and you're closing this strong, especially if they get up to like the sixth seed, which is totally possible. Nobody saw that coming. And that would be a huge win. I think big picture for the franchise. I agree with you. And you're right that basically if you're trying to tank your way out of the playoff race, you're going to have to just send Patrick Beverly home and you're going to have to send Lou Williams home and just like get rid of those dudes. Play Jerome Robinson. Agua Caliente assignment. (laughs) Um, So uh, yeah, that's a good point that all of this is like purely theoretical among blog boys and really like the guys in that locker room are just not going to lay down, which is cool. And and you know who else, who else doesn't want to tank is Doc Rivers, right? And that's, that's who I was thinking Doc is not going to dick around and be like, Oh, well, we could really use that extra trade asset in the AD trade. Like that just doesn't seem like his style. I love how you didn't even have him wanting to use that draft pick because we know he <laughs> yeah, wouldn't want to use that Doc draft pick. Doc Rivers anyways. has not used a draft pick in at least 10 years, um, which is, you know, more reason to love him. Uh, but let's finish off here, Ben. I, I Just the takeaway point from the Clippers discussion, watch the Clippers games, okay? I've had to sit through a lot of Lakers games. They've been miserable lately. Starting with Saturday's game against the Celtics was just an utter, utter waste of time. There's no other way to put it. The Clippers games have been incredibly entertaining and fun to watch in person, on television. If you're not watching them, give it a look. Good family fun. And for anyone who can't stay up until 1 a.m. to watch the Clippers, 1 a.m. on the East Coast, that is, um, the better coast, you should at least make sure you (laughs) wake up and see what Patrick Beverly had to say the night before because... I I didn't see Patrick Beverly's Paul George attacks until like Sunday afternoon, uh, but they really brightened up my afternoon. I was like, you know what? Patrick Beverly has lifetime immunity with me. Um, he's just the best. And from uh, one, Patrick Beverly definitely doesn't care about this. I don't know how we're going to segue here, but Fritz says, as a diehard soccer and basketball fan from the Bay Area, I often imagine what it would be like if the NBA had something similar to Europe's soccer loan system. Do you guys think this could work in basketball and what loans would you like to see? Um, Ben, this is something I've thought about. Before we dig in, it's a a great question. Before we dig in, let me just redo that segue for you, okay? Here it comes. Patrick Beverly really made his name in basketball by by uh, touring European professional leagues and getting himself in position to come back sure. to the NBA. Speaking of Europe, we have a question about European soccer. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the Ukraine, let's talk about a loan system in the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> Great work. Absolutely. Um, so you said you've been thinking about this. I don't think this is nuts. Well, what do you okay. Think? So here's the thing. We already have the buyout system, which almost works in practice like a loan system. Um, granted, the, the players never go back to their original teams. But I think it could work because it ultimately we would just be injecting more talent into the playoff field, which is good for the league and which everybody should be in favor of. And if you're allowing teams to get either draft pick compensation for loaning a player to a contender for half a season or, um, or monetary compensation, 
or just like some teams would benefit just by taking a, te- a player off their team and and making their tank more viable. Like like if the Clippers did want to tank and wanted to loan Patrick Beverly to the Sixers for three months, that would be a possibility if loans existed. And um, I can't think of many reasons why it wouldn't work. I think we'd have to legislate it pretty carefully and you'd have to limit teams to like maybe one loan per season or one loaned player per season. Uh, But you know, it could benefit everybody. Yeah. Your point on like the comparison to the buyout market is great right now. The buyouts are kind of sloppy. Like sometimes it works and a guy like Tyson Chandler gets a second chance mid season. Right. Sometimes it doesn't work, and Robin Lopez is just kind of like hanging over a team for months, or sometimes it gets really ugly, and a guy like J.R. Smith disappears off the face of the planet, and we forget he even exists as an entity and as a person, mm-hmm. right? And so I do think you could clean up that system a little bit. I think the the frameworks that I would want to have, your limit is correct. I don't think a team should be able to uh, loan out more than one player or receive more than one player in loan. I'm already concerned about the haves versus the have-nots in the NBA. And if you had this like wide-open loan system, I think you would get guys like Robert Sarver just going out there and trying to do the Trevor Ariza thing like 10 yeah. times and just basically using their entire roster as a way to like stockpile assets and money uh, by signing players with the express purpose of loaning them out to real teams. And that is not a healthy dynamic. We need to be protecting against that. The other thing I would consider is like, can there be a salary cap on the loan amount? Like, could it be... If you make more than a mid-level, are you not able to be loaned out? That way you couldn't have some like, you know, top 30 player completely screwing up the playoff picture because his team decides to loan him out and you have this huge injection of talent that nobody else kind of saw coming, right? I think there would need to maybe, can we limit this more to like role players? Because I think the real benefit would be if you've got role players on lottery teams who are just going through the motions and kind of, uh, you know, wasting away their season. If they don't get traded before the deadline, they're just stuck and they wind up getting benched for the last two months of the year. I would like to see those guys, if possible, on playoff teams. And I would like to see playoff teams that might have one rotation hole be able to fill those guys um, without having to rely on a team buying them out. Uh, you know what I mean? So I, I think there could be a way that this winds up working yeah. for everybody. Um, I would I would prefer it to kind of the sloppy buyout market that we've got right now because I do think if you're a, a losing team and you've got players who you're not really using an extra draft pick or some money I mean you should be able to get uh, compensation for those okay guys. so I agree with everything you said when we're we're ninety percent in agreement I do think well first of all if you're gonna limit it to just to strictly role players or guys making the mid level or beneath. Um, then this is very uncontroversial and something that should be implemented as soon as possible. Granted, like none of this can actually work until they renegotiate the CBA in a few years. But like that idea is easy and makes a ton of sense for everybody. I am dreaming a little bit bigger myself because I think it would be great if we could throw Bradley Beal onto a playoff team rather than having him toil away in these meaningless Wizards games. And same for guys like Devin Booker, like, the, the whole playoff field would be a lot more fun if you just started throwing superstars into the mix. and Wait, so like you're going to have Towns, Anthony yes. Davis, <laughs> Booker, Beal. You just basically want all of them in the playoffs even though they didn't like really well, earn their way okay, there? Okay, so imagine the Pelicans could have loaned Anthony Davis to the Lakers for the stretch run in exchange for like 20 to $25 million dollars that they could then either spend or pocket or whatever they wanted to do and then traded him this summer, that would make a lot of sense, right? Rather than have Anthony Davis like relegated to purgatory playing 18 minutes a night for the Pelicans, like alone could have saved them there or the, and you know, the Lakers could have given them a couple draft picks too, to, to make the loan worthwhile and and make it make sense for them this sounds like an awful slippery slope if you could just tell gail benson she can get money for her players and she gets to keep having them like isn't this going to get out of control real quick i hear what you're saying though i mean at the same time like do we want those kinds of seismic shifts right like shouldn't the blockbuster deals be trades not uh loans Um, yeah you're right i think i but i the reason I'm interested in this... I mean, it would be wild. If you're in favor of chaos, you take... Yeah, your theory, and the reason I'm at least interested in this is because 
the league is in a really weird spot right now in terms of how often guys are moving and like the relationships between stars and their local teams. And I think one way the NBA could try to play this is to just kind of lean into the chaos and say, this is the sport we are now. And this is in the same way that European soccer, like I never know where the best players are, but you just kind of like follow the players and, and it, and it works over there. Granted soccer has far less competition than basketball does in America. Um, but I think you know it would add a whole other layer of speculation and and interest that has sustained the league through like the last ten years. I mean, as as player movement has become more of a thing, basketball has grown, and and I think that's directly correlated. I almost feel morally obligated to say like the counter argument here is that continuity and chemistry in the NBA is virtually dead because it's, of all and this it's been player bad. movement. Like, <laughs> I'm for- sick of it at this point. Yeah. <laughs> And and forty percent of the NBA's players this summer are going to be yeah. free agents, and this is already maybe out of control. Like I understand the idea of having the short term contracts. I think that was smarter for the league, but the trend of of guys just bouncing constantly or teams cycling through guys as quickly as possible. Um, I don't know if that's the greatest development for the league. It might make the league more interesting, and it might generate more page views yeah. and clicks. I don't know if it's better for the basketball. And product, I think though. that's a really fair point. But maybe that raise. doesn't matter. Maybe nobody cares about the basketball. I, and I have anymore. no idea. But um, uh, all I'm saying is, you could you could potentially win me back if, let's say, the last four months have been annoying enough to make me be like, God, do we real? I'm kind of sick of this. Um, you could win me back if you start putting superstars from lottery teams onto playoff teams midway through the year, and we had a week of like the loan window was open for a week in March and was open for a week in July. And, uh, and that's the way they did it. Okay. So uh, under your scheme, does Bradley Beal get to wear his new team's Jersey or does he have to wear I a would... wizard's Jersey? Like, once he gets <laughs> that's loan? a great point. Like we could have a little wizard's patch <laughs> on his Pistons Jersey or wherever he ends up. Um, does he, does he get a full ring or maybe only a necklace or no, like a pendant? No, no, no. Like, he, he get gets the, a full you know? ring because some of these guys are legitimately going to like tilt the scales in title races, um, which is another reason to hate it, by the way, because if you put well, like, I know, can you imagine the Bucks getting well, like, screwed out of, uh, out of like a final spot because the, let's say the Celtics got Anthony Davis instead of, instead of the Lakers, like that would be awful. Uh, see your theory i'm not sure about it what if the lakers loan lebron to the warriors you know what i mean and he's well, their new center to replace demarcus cousins because it's not go. working now are we going to count are we going to count lebron's ring the same you're sure you don't want to give him this a started as a dream but it is now a full-on nightmare you have succeeded in laying out <laughs> i ruined it dystopian scenarios you're, you're right that it would be abused very quickly and uh would spiral out of control i think the bottom line is we should experiment with the loan system yes. in the nba let's keep Keep it small, right? Like they have the NBA has done this thing in the past where like the taxpayer mid level, mini mid level, mm-hmm. right? Or they have these little exceptions they've carved out, the biannual exception. Like they they carved out these little mechanisms for teams to add talent or retain talent um, based on their cap situation that they knew would uh, increase flexibility, but not go crazy, so that you know really strong teams would be able to just you know stack up talent even more than they yeah. already did. I think if you took that same philosophical approach of being like, okay, look, we want to have a loan system that is moderate in total impact, but it does kind of facilitate some of these veterans who are in these situations. Um, I think that that's kind of in th- in line with the NBA's thinking already on some of these situations. And I think that it, it could be a positive thing for everybody. And I don't, like if I'm an agent, I love it, right? Because right? my player is not stuck on the Chicago Bulls. If I'm an aging vet who wants a reason to play, I love it. If I'm a winning team, I love it. If I'm a losing team and I can get something for guys rather than just, you know, playing out the rest of this, uh, the season, I love it too. And if I'm the NBA itself, I love it because the quality of competition is increasing during the postseason. I just think it's a win-win-win all around. So I love the emailer's idea. I think we should implement on an experimental basis a loan system with you know minimal impact, a minimal impact loan system. Yeah. Well, and another. First of all, you've sold me completely on the need to have some salary limitations. We can't be just be sending superstars all over the league. It would it would probably get depressing uh, pretty quickly. But another player prototype that fits under your criteria, like 
if teams could send some of their young guys, like if Jonathan Isaac could have gotten some playoff experience over the last year, oh. um, I, think, I think he was a rookie last year, but it, like that's the type of, of guy who you could see like really benefiting from a couple months in a winning environment who then returns to Orlando with more experience, more maturity and, and can help turn things around. Like that actually makes a lot of sense to me. Instead of sending him down to the G League, you're sending him up to the show, and he's like exactly. getting some minutes for like, uh, like the Send San Antonio San Spurs. Antonio, in the playoffs or yeah, something. like all these all these shitty teams should be clamoring to send their their young lottery picks to the Spurs for a, like a a couple months of grooming, <laughs> and then maybe they could come back and actually win something. It's like an internship. Yeah, I love so, it. So, anyways, um, there we go. That went in a lot of different directions. Probably didn't make sense to anybody, but. Um, uh, a loan system makes sense no. on a conditional basis. I think the Open Floor Globe is going to be with us on this one, Andrew. I think we're going to be getting lots of emails to <laughs> openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com, telling people that we fix basketball. There we I go. Think so. Well, I think that's as good a place to end as any, Ben. Um, and we ha- will have a lot more to get to later in the week. But uh, saw a little Monday episode, and you got to go off to the Clippers game. See to see my Celtics. Absolutely. Guys, check us out on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. Find our page, make sure you subscribe, and then look for that section that says rate and review. Tap five stars, leave us a review. It really helps us spread the word, and it's a simple process. It takes a matter of seconds. You can help spread the Open Floor gospel. Don't forget, I'm on Instagram, at ben.goliver. The Lantern will be making a triumphant return this week for all your great user-generated stories and content. Uh, be sure to check me out on there. I gave you the email address previously. It's openfloormail at gmail.com. We want your questions, comments, concerns, loan ideas, whatever else you've got to help us pass this March month. We really appreciate it. Also, Andrew, we're on the world-famous radio.com slash openfloor. Big thanks to LinkedIn Jobs, our sponsor. Andrew, until later this week, all I right, will man, talk to you. Take it easy.